Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. Today I'm joined by Kelvin Cochran. He's the former uh, fire chief in Atlanta and was also the U.S. fire administrator in the Obama administration. So, Kelvin, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Pastor Bob. Kelvin's speaking at our sizzling summer service tonight. He's been to our church on Sunday morning. One of the most impactful talks, Kelvin, I've ever heard. I think you sold 400 books on that wow. Sunday morning. So, so glad you're back. It's such an honor to be back at Calvary Chapel. So I'm going to let a little bit of Kelvin's story out. I've already shared his successes, and then we're going to share a little bit of a pitfall that happened very late in his career. But Kelvin, before we get there, uh, I think a big part of your story is the typical American story, but we'll put God in the middle of this, of really um, the land of opportunity and you seizing opportunity, certainly by God's grace. So you were born in what you say was extreme poverty in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Well, I was born in an era that was very difficult in our country for African Americans in the South. In 1960, at a hospital called Confederate Memorial Hospital, no less, and uh, I was the fourth of four boys. Two girls came into our family after uh, I was born, so there was a total of six of us. We were living in a poor uh, government projects. Uh, my dad uh, left my mother with six children all by herself. And uh, we were no longer able to afford to stay in the project. So we moved in a alley, a back alley called Rear Snow Street in a shotgun house, which is a house that's worse condition than the government project uh, without extending a long description of a shotgun house. So things got worse. We were on welfare and food stamps. And, um, you know, many times by the end of the month, all the food was gone. The food stamps were gone and we were eating mayonnaise sandwiches and drinking sugar water until the next welfare check and food stamps came. We uh, oftentimes had utilities turned off, um, and I wore my big brother's hand-me-down clothes most of wow. the time because my mother couldn't buy six kids new clothes on an ongoing basis. And, um, you know, it was in that alley, though, uh, Pastor, where uh, as a five-year-old boy, uh, I just— God just began to, as a kid, reveal things to me. I realized that poverty was awful, and I didn't want to be poor all my life. I realized that not having a dad at home was awful, and that when I became a grown man, I wanted to be what I called a family man, which means uh, a man that had a wife and children, and I was at home with my family and lived with my family. And it was in that alley that a lady across the alley from where we lived, her house caught fire, and when I saw those firefighters that day, I was smitten that day. And all I dreamed about as a kid growing up was uh, wanting to be a firefighter. So I, I, I tell folks all the time I was raised on faith and patriotism because the grownups fed our dreams. And they told us that in our country, all of our dreams would come true if we believe in and had faith in God, if we go to school and get a good education if we respected grown people and treat other children like we wanted to be treated, they said in the United States of America, all of our dreams would come true. So, Kelvin, when, when we work in the inner city or in some impoverished areas, what our partners always tell us is they try to instill that in the children because if you fast forward today, believe it or not, that story is really not told anymore. So, obviously, you know, somehow God gave you a vision for your future. 
Was there anyone who came along? Was there a pivotal person who kind of told you this path out was possible? Yes, it was a it was a village effort. You know, first of all, my mom, uh, after my dad left, she rededicated her life to Christ. I mean, she was a Christian. She rededicated her life to Christ. And all of us were required to go to church as children. She fed our dreams. Uh, and the grown-ups at our church uh, in our Sunday school classes uh, fueled our dreams. The teachers uh, at our schools fueled our dreams. And the pastor at the church we were members of, Galilee Baptist Church in Shreveport, uh, he was the one single constant male figure in my life That's throughout awesome. my life that he didn't have a direct contact influence. It wasn't direct interaction most of the time until I became a grown man and ultimately became a deacon under the same pastor. But just watching his life was an inspiration to me. And the other men at the Galilee Baptist Church who were married and had kids, just observing those guys just fueled my dreams for being a family man and not being poor and wanting to have a career where I could take care of my family. Just uh, So it was a, I call it a village effort. So for you, church was the way out. For other people, it might be sports or education. And there were temptations, I'm sure, right? I, I mean, drugs and guns probably weren't as prevalent back then, but I'm sure there were other crowds you could have run with. Oh, absolutely, and and, and, and no question about it. And certainly, uh, even in that era, you know, in my uh, high school and early college years, I had my own personal wilderness experience, you know, for a season. But, uh, but because of uh, the, the principles, the values, the faith, that was instilled in me growing up, you know, uh, thank God I, I didn't get so far deep into the hog pen. Yeah. You know, I came to myself yeah. before I destroyed myself. And uh, it was the foundation of faith that was instilled in me as a boy that caused me to turn my life around before I really destroyed my life. Uh, my mother always told us uh, and said this many, many times throughout our life, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from Proverbs 22, one of the most memorable verses. Yeah. So, Kelvin, tell us about the Fire Academy. I don't know how difficult it is to get there, but tell us about the first steps of your journey. Well, it's an interesting uh, story in that when I was kicked out of college because I wasn't focused on getting school when I was in college, I came home sad because I was the first one in my family to even attempt to go to college. So I knew it was going to break my mother's heart when I came home and told her that I was on academic probation. And being the mom she was, she said, you're not going to lay around here. You're going to get a job. And so I got a job at El Chico's Mexican restaurant, but I also put in an application for the Shreveport Fire Department. And one evening while I was covered in hot sauce and chili, I received a phone call from a recruiter asking me was I still interested in being a firefighter. And of course, I expressed my joy that I was. Uh, and in 1981, I became a Shreveport firefighter and entered the uh, training academy. And uh, it was, Pastor, it was, the, I guess at that point, the most joyous day of my life to wear the uniform yeah. of a Shreveport firefighter. So you work your way all the way up, become the fire chief in Atlanta, uh, for those listening, Kelvin is African-American. Uh, did you, 
racial problems within the fire company? Was it hard to climb the ladder? Did did other people get preferential treatment? How did that all flesh out? Well, I was one of the first African-Americans to be hired on the Shreveport Fire Department. I was like number nine or ten, and that was within the span of about three years. It was very difficult. We were not uh, accepted or certainly not wanted. Uh, Firefighters live in very close quarters for 24 hours, and uh, our white brothers just just did not see us fitting into that scenario, and many of them let us know it. And so I experienced a tremendous amount of uh, slurs and jokes and uh, you name it, some horrific uh, things that were done. Uh, but being a person of faith, I never saw myself as a victim. I saw it as an opportunity really to show uh, my heart and commitment for the the uh, the profession, for the job, that I could do the job. Uh, my skin color uh, did not put me at a disadvantage for, ha- for being highly skilled and highly committed. I was just as willing to die for a stranger as a black man as my white brothers were willing to die for strangers. And it took time, Pastor, to really prove, you know, that, hey, these guys are just as capable and just as committed and competent as any of us. But it was those trials and challenges uh, that really set me apart for promotions. And I think not just in the favor of the eyes of men, but in the favor and the eyes of God. Now, the whole civil rights movement is going. Are you seeing yourself as part of the whole yeah, and what you're living out, and that were you looking to people like King and and others uh, fighting for that cause in a way? Well, absolutely. I, they were certainly inspirations to my focus. Uh, rather than feeling like I was a victim and retaliating in some way, I felt, um, in fact, Pastor, I was the first generation of what I call the dream kids, Mm. the dream that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about as it relates to equity in careers, my generation was the first generation of the dream kids. And so I saw it as uh, a trailblazer. I mean, I knew that there were going to be other African-American and women firefighters that were going to come behind me, and I had an obligation to... Uh, serve in such a way that it would be easier for them uh, when they came along. So the day you become the chief firefighter in Atlanta, did you look around and say, God, how did you do this? Did it feel like you were in another life? What was the feeling that uh, you reached the highest uh, a person could go? Well, it was even before that because I was the first African-American fire chief in Shreveport. And uh, that was amazing to think that, I mean, I just asked God to make me a firefighter <laughs> and just being faithful to God and serving my community and, uh, and family over the years. God saw fit to uh, cause me to be the first African-American firefighter in Shreveport, Louisiana. And people told me there's no way that's going to happen. Yeah. And God made that happen. And then eight years later, uh, I was able to serve in such a way in my profession through professional associations that I was a part of and providing leadership that I was actually recruited to Atlanta. I didn't even have to put in an application for it. And uh, and God saw fit to allow that hap- to happen. I went there under one mayor, the Honorable Shirley Franklin, and served her for 20 months uh, and she was on her way out of the office, but President Obama was elected in office. Uh, and by the grace of God, I got a call from the White House uh, asking me if I was interested 
in serving as the United States Fire Administrator. You know, I tell people all the time, never judge God in a snapshot. Yeah, that's exactly true. Give I, him time, and one day you'll look through the rearview mirror, and uh, he'll guide us. Yes, it, it's a remarkable story. What was it like working in the Obama administration? What was it like? You know, I know Washington is a different animal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was that like? It was a lot of fun for me because the fire service is the I'd say if not the most uh, one of the most uh, bipartisan you know uh, yeah. you know issues yes. in the federal government yeah. or in government period and uh, we enjoyed support from both sides of the aisle. There was no major national disaster uh, while I served in uh, the Obama administration, so. Uh, it was mostly proactive, strategic planning, supporting the fire departments across the country uh, in the initiatives that they had, uh, implementing a national strategy for deploying firefighters were there ever to be another national disaster that required firefighters from all over the country to respond, yeah. like Hurricane Katrina or yeah. September 11th. So I was uh, in a pretty good place. I really loved that job. And being in Washington, D.C., and every day and in downtown D.C., I describe it as uh, the feeling that kids in elementary school get the night before they go on a field trip. <laughs> yeah. I felt like that every, every day. day. That every is, day. That's a sweet spot yes, for sure. Sir. So we're going to get into some of the interesting things that happen in your life. But before we do, I've seen several firefighter movies. Backdraft's my favorite. What's the most realistic one? None of them. <laughs> There's a the the culture uh, that is conveyed for the most part is realistic, and every firefighter movie, being in a different city, demonstrates a different culture, and that is so true. That no two fire departments are alike, and uh, but the one thing that is consistent in this, those in those movies is, in spite of all those differences and those different cultures. All of them are willing to lay themselves, yeah. their lives on the line at any moment, at any time, and all of them risk not going back home to their families yeah. at the end of a shift. Uh, and so, but there's a lot of uh, special effects and drama. <laughs> it's just really not a part of firefighting. Uh, I, I think we shared before we came into the interview that uh, Time Magazine listed uh, people that had the most joy in their careers, and number one was clergy, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And number two was firefighters. So yeah. uh, you've had your foot in both worlds. Yes, sir. So you got heavily involved in your church in Atlanta, and you wound up leading a men's ministry where you wrote a devotional, and then something went terribly wrong. Why don't you share that story? Yes, sir. Uh, it was about five years ago now God laid it on my heart that there were too many Christian men who were struggling with condemnation, still feeling like, there was something else we needed to do to get in a right relationship with God after we have confessed Christ, who really died for all of our sins and who the Apostle Paul declared that because of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So um, the book was called, Who Told You That You Were Naked? Overcoming the Stronghold of Condemnation. And so I dealt with several issues that men, Christian men, still struggle with in our carnal nature, and one of them was sex. So I went back to the origin uh, in the book of Genesis and talked about biblical gender, biblical marriage, and biblical sexuality, a total of about three paragraphs in a 162-page book. About a year after the book was published, um, 
a firefighter showed those few paragraphs to an openly gay council member who was offended by what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality. Uh, I was suspended for 30 days. Um, to t- Even though the book had nothing to do with your career, it was it was off to the side. Yes, it was yeah. away from the job, did not have anything. It was self-published. Uh, I wrote it away from the work and not on city time. Uh, so it was completely in my personal life. Uh, the, the 30-day suspension was to investigate whether my biblical views on marriage and sexuality caused me to discriminate against anyone in the LGBT community. And it came back that I had never discriminated against anyone under any circumstance. However, at the end of the 30 days, I was terminated from employment after uh, a 34-year career, seven years in the city of Atlanta. Now, was there a fire? I mean, this had to be front-page news, right? Was there a there had to be a hubbubaloo around all this, right? Yes, sir. It was. It was big news. Um, on the one side, um, there was uh, the the biggest response was from the Christian community uh, that um, which had to be sizable. In it was pretty yeah. significant uh, in the entire state of Georgia. The Christian community rose up, uh, really, really uh, angry about what had happened and why it had happened. But really, Christians all over the world responded. Uh, to it because, uh, and especially in the United States of America, in the city of Atlanta, you could actually be fired for living out your faith, for expressing your beliefs. Now, was your first instinct to fight? No, it was not. You know, one of the strange things about uh, having the grace of God and walking out your faith over the years is there are so many things, Pastor, that God did to prepare me for that day, so many things. Uh, but scripture memorization is just one of many yes. things. And uh, so I just had scriptures like in Psalm 27 that says, you know, though in host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Psalms 112, there's a verse says, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trust in the Lord. And it's amazing how, I mean, those scriptures just rise up on the inside and, and, and they course, give you temperance and peace. Yeah. And, and David wrote most of them. And the most remarkable thing about David is he never fought back, even though he rightfully was the heir to the throne and so forth and so on. and was wrongfully abused, never fought back. It was commendable. That's a great way to say that. And I think one of the reasons why he's one of my greatest biblical role models is because when God told him he was going to be king, he drew the conclusion that nothing was going to stop that. And all the challenges that he experienced uh, on his way to that destiny, you know, somehow or another God was going to work it out. And that's exactly the disposition. How long did it take you to get over the firing? Uh, I had probably um, two days of just disbelief. Right. Uh, And what fed it, and and disbelief and uncertainty, and what fed that was just watching the news and hearing the, the good things, which were a lot, and then hearing some of the negative things, which were few but had just a horrible impact in my spirit. And there was no... Such thing as the word fake news back then. <laughs> right, no, no. And so God just put it in my spirit to just stop watching the news. Don't follow the news. And and I realized I had to uh, be a testimony of how a faithful husband and a faithful father responded 
in front of my kids. And so that kind of brought me back into focus. Um, but then on the third day, uh, it was like uh, another scripture rose, rose up in me. On the When I found myself at home by myself for the first time after the third day of my termination, I was on the verge of despair. And then another scripture rose up, lift up your head, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Now something unexpected happened. You started to get invited to speak in places. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. Uh, the Georgia Baptist Convention um, invited me to a executive meeting that they were having. They wanted all the pastors, there was about 200 pastors there, to just hear my testimony. They were not interested in the details of the what happened with the city or the mayor. Uh, neither was I interested in, in at that point of trying to disclose that information. They just They said, we just want to hear your testimony. How has God, how, what is God doing in your life and how is God working in you and in your family? And so I shared my testimony uh, at that meeting and the president of the, uh, the executive director, uh, Dr. White, challenged those pastors. He says, I, I want y'all to have Kelvin in your churches on Sunday mornings sharing his testimony in your congregation. Sharing your testimony is an understatement. So I saw you in upstate Pennsylvania, and didn't even know you were on the docket. Eric Metaxas was the speaker, and anybody listening knows Eric. He's a brilliant writer. He's a humorist. He's a wonderful speaker. After you spoke, he got up and said he had no idea why he was invited. <laughs> Did you ever have uh, instruction in public speaking? How like? Did God just do this? Like, what's the story? Well, you know, it's amazing how God prepares you along the way. Uh, when I was a rookie at the Shreveport Fire Training Academy, um, the training officers made such an impact on me. They were such great role models. Uh, and as, even though I was the shyest guy in my class, I had set my heart that one day I wanted to be a training officer like those guys. Uh, and God presented me that opportunity four years after I was on the department. And I just wanted to be as good as they were so bad. I fought through the fears of my shyness, and I just really focused a lot on uh, public speaking and teaching. And God just opened up so many opportunities over the years for me to teach and lecture in the fire service uh, that it's really prepared me for those public speaking moments. And then you wrote, you wrote a, another book. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, well, the, the, uh, the, the beyond who told you that you were naked, uh, it's just, I'm actually in the process of writing another book, uh, and that book really came out of journaling, just like who told you that you were naked, uh, and it's called the, the Law of Divine Alignment, uh, The Manner of Biblical Manhood. Uh, and what I've discovered just from studying the Bible over the years, Pastor, is that, that that question that David asked God after after Nathan told him what God was going to do for him because he wanted him to build a temple, and David worshipped God, and then he started asking God questions. One of the questions David asked God was, is this the manner of man? Is this covenant the way you work in the lives of all men? And um, that question, the manner, the phrase manner of man that stood out with me. So I just started digging in the scriptures mm. and there is a pattern of how God 
works in the lives of men that I'm beginning to write about. So needed. So needed. So you're full time now at church and that's become another career. Yes, it has. Uh, I'm the chief operating officer at Elizabeth Baptist Church in Atlanta. It's a multi-site congregation with five locations. And uh, I'm responsible for the administrative and strategic planning for the church. So amazing. Yes, sir. uh, What an amazing story. So what do you see in your future? Church work? You see, uh, you still speak a lot. What, what, what do you think God has on your horizon? I have uh, such a deeper conviction for uh, men's ministry. Uh, I just want to be used by God to uh, coach and mentor and pour in the lives of men. I have such a yearning to see men uh, be who God created us to be. So I'm, I'm pursuing opportunities and ministry. Over the last three and a half, four years now, after this experience, I have seen firsthand uh, the challenges of the body of Christ not being a unified body. And I have such a passion for, in our lifetime, Mm. uh, seeing some of the things that have caused us to be so divided as the body of Christ uh, put those barriers aside and and really see a unified body of Christ. Uh, and so I'm seeking God for uh, how he would use me in that regard. I want to see the United States of America set on fire for God in such a way that we put aside denominational barriers, racial barriers, political barriers, gender barriers, and all these other things that keep us from being the body of Christ. And uh, certainly there are I call them kings and queens in ministry, people with giant ministries Mm. that if they brought all of their resources together, it would change our country overnight. Uh, Why that's not happening, I don't know. And I ask God that, but more than asking God that, I say, God, what do you want me to do? I don't want to look for somebody else to do something that he's called me to do to unify the body of Christ. So I'm, I'm just seeking God for that. And then the last thing, this whole issue of religious liberty in our country Crazy. its getting cr- completely out of hand to where Christians are really afraid now to, to publicly profess their yeah. faith. And that's exactly where the enemy Satan would have us to be, because if he can silence the gospel, then everything else goes his way. Exactly. And so uh, I just want to see uh, a greater boldness uh, in our faith in the United States of America. There are Christians who are facing much more, much greater consequences for living out their faith, even losing their lives, who still boldly speak about their faith in Christ, knowing that they're going to be die, that knowing that they're going to be murdered or uh, disowned by their family heritage, uh, and we're rejecting Christ for far less than those things. Well so I said. just want to see yeah. a greater boldness and Christians stand for religious liberty in our country. Kelvin, one final question. Obviously. Um Race is a big issue in America. Every time we think we're getting further along, there seems to be setbacks. Uh, Not to get into all that. um, You talk about men in the church. Black men in our country, uh, if you had one message as you've navigated your life, what would would it be? It would be... um to wholeheartedly commit uh, our whole life 
to Jesus Christ as not just Savior, but as Lord of our lives, to just wholeheartedly commit to Christ as Savior and Lord, uh, and to seek Him and His ways in everything that we do, uh, and just watch the exceeding great and precious promises of God manifest in your life, in your family, uh, because Jesus didn't come to die for our skin. He came <laughs> to die for our sin. That's great. And so he has no respecter of uh, ethnicity That's or right. race. Yeah. And, uh, and and to not, my, my whole focus based on Christ was to not consider the horrors of discrimination and bigotry uh, as a, not to see myself as a victim, to keep my eyes on Christ and to press forward, uh, knowing that uh, his promises are true, his, his destiny is a sure thing if you keep your eyes on him. But I think the greatest solution to rec- racial reconciliation in our country is the unity of the body of Christ. Yeah. I just believe that when the body of Christ begin to demonstrate unity. Certainly an area we can lead in, right? Right. That's that's the first thing. Racial reconciliation will continue to be a dream uh, if the body of Christ uh, continues to be comfortable uh, in our divided state. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. We have that common bond that supersedes nationality or anything on the planet. Well, it's been enjoyable having you. Always great to talk to you, and thanks. Thank you, Pastor. Okay.